<laughs> okay, so I'm here with uh, Maya Lubeck. We've just spent the past 30 seconds teaching me how to pronounce your name correctly, <laughs> which is always a good start. <laughs> you got it, Craig. But um, look, thank you for taking the time out. And this is the last of the series of four candidate little get-togethers and chats. I'd like to call them podcasts, which sounds far too grand. Um, <laughs> And I'll, I'll talk about some of my experiences with the, the three candidates and some of the things that... Um, but feel free to go off on any tangent you want. <laughs> oh, look, a name to my heart. <laughs> but actually, first of all, and I've asked every candidate the same question, what, what form of mental illness did you suffer from that, may, that, that promoted a life of politics? Yes, well... Um I'll give you the short version. Okay. Um, in 2017, um, I had um, a couple of years prior um, completed a law degree and uh, while I was working for Air New Zealand and then entered into a, a merger of uh, a couple of uh, unions, including the one I was heading up, the Flight Attendant Union. Um, and uh, because it was the EPMU we merged with, uh, we became an affiliated union. And so someone in the Labour Party approached me and said, look, we need campaigners up in the north. It's quite a blue area. Not that many people wanting to hold the flag and get the party vote out. How about you do this for us? Well, that sounds pretty exciting. And my, and my, um, my work said, yeah, look, we'll, we'll, we'll allow you to do it and give you a bit of time for that. So I thought, oh, yeah, I'll run a campaign and then I'll go back to where I was and so I was doing that, and then, of course, six weeks prior to the election, Jacinda Ardern took over as uh, leader of the Labour Party, and the rest is history. So I came in on the list, completely unexpected. I'm standing there in Oriva with my husband and my son watching the, the votes come in, and I said, looking at him, gosh, I think I'm going to Parliament. And he goes, what? I said, yep, you look at those numbers. I think I get it on the list. And he goes, no way. And then I thought to myself, what does an MP actually do? So I went home, Googled it, what job description for MP. I like it, winging it. <laughs> exactly. Fake it till you make a T-shirt. And of course, there's nothing. You, you can't find a job description for an MP. So it was a steep learning curve, to say the least. But like I say to people, it's, it's an awesome opportunity living in the area that you represent and being able to do some good stuff for the people in the communities. But um, it, it wasn't pre-planned. I was well on my way to my... Um, you know, 25 year anniversary at Air New Zealand, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that got abrupted. So now I'm here. Well, to be honest with you, it, it's, it's refreshing not to meet a career politician, because if you go into, if you if you leave college and say I want to be a politician, I'd be slightly concerned. <laughs> exactly. Why? <laughs> so do you do you live do you live locally? Yes, yeah. yes. In fact, I live about 26 minutes from um, where we currently are. Uh, and it's, it's a large electorate, of course. I don't know if you've seen... Yes, um, it's, it's vast, isn't it? Right. The, uh, ...the boundaries, and I know your, your, your um, listeners can't see it, but I've got a map in front of me, and it goes basically Lee in the north, which in is, Wellsford. Which is, which is where I live. Right. Oh, is it? Oh, yes. that's my, my favourite area. I'll talk about is that it? later. Right, okay, Lee right. is my favourite. It's got a right. special place in my heart. But I'm close to um, TRI, yep. and so basically all the way through my travels to the airport is my electorate. And so Rodney was roughly this size. And after yeah. the rezoning, yeah. I was gifted all of that Helensville so area. So let's go on a tangent first. Let's go on a bit of a tangent first sure. of all. How messed up is that? How messed up? <laughs> How messed up is it? messed up. It totally messed up. Totally. Yeah. First of all, people had to learn to say kai paraki maharangi. Yeah. And um, it is still a bit of a challenge for okay. some people. But, you know, they'll get their heads around it. Um, but, but, 
there are at least a dozen different communities, all with their own different identities and needs and history and complexities. And so I guess, um, you know, to take Walkwood, for example, they have a, a well-run business association, the community groups are well-established, and I've been able to work with them in uh, a really constructive way. They give me the information they need for what they need, and, and then I'm basically their voice bringing that to, to Wellington. Some of the other communities, like I met in Wellsford this morning with people setting up uh, some kind of a, a community organization, they are needing to be established. After the, the super city, um, the area lost some of its identity because they became part of a large area that they don't feel connected to. And so what I've found in the last three years is that I really need to give a much louder voice and be that squeaky wheel for the people in what used to be Rodney, but you know, there's this northern Auckland area um, who don't feel connected to necessarily Auckland issues. That's an interesting point you, you, you brought up there because <clears throat> that prompted, that was actually one of the reasons that prompted me to invite Beth along for a chat. Yeah. Because um, as much, in, in, you know, one can argue whether acts as a libertarian part, party foremost, et cetera, and whether that libertarian utopia is actually workable globally. Um, because lots of that stuff sounds fantastic. But one thing that Beth is well known for is she's very vocal and active on local community, particularly through Facebook and stuff. And she gets things done, yeah. she gets things sorted out. Yeah. And it was that, that also, it was actually that, that that made me scratch my head because um, people listening to this are going to go, oh, God, he's going to go through the same story again. But I think it's important that I go through to you. So, look, I wear my politics on my sleeve. Yep. Um, come from a working class family in the UK. Um, that was interesting. It was a split family. It was sort of. My father was always Labour, and my mum comes from a conservative political background, wow. actually. Quite yeah, interesting, yeah, yeah. my parents. Interesting dinner conversation. Well, let's not go there. <laughs> <laughs> let's not, that's probably divulged too much. But what it, did, what it did get me thinking about was, especially, you know, especially in the UK, and we look around the world at the moment with all the political upheaval, um, mention mm. no names, um, but to me, it was, you know, traditional media always been, has just been, a, especially in election cycles, it's just a series of political point scoring, sound bites. Oh, yeah. Um, you're given a huge list of policies and you can go through and compare them and this type of stuff. But actually, yeah. you, first of all, you never really get to, to know or meet the, your, your, your representative. And secondly, you, you don't get under the skin of, of it. And actually, one of the refreshing things with this to a degree, mm. which has been really interesting, is... Yeah, I was never going to align completely with national policy, sure. but actually sitting down with, with Chris at the Matacana pub for an hour or so, mm -hmm. he's actually a really lovely guy. Yeah. And fundamentally, he's just like everybody else and wants the, the same things in life. Yep. Um, so I just thought that this was an opportunity for an hour or two, depends on what your schedule's like, just to sit down and have a chat and go off on some tangents. And this little map was a good one. Um, <laughs> and let's actually, let's, let's talk about this a minute. Yeah, yeah. Living in Lee, you know, uh, mm. there's, uh, uh, where it is and also what used to be Rodney. Um, there are obviously benefits to having the super city, but geez, there's a lot of people upset about being, yeah. the, being the second class yeah. um, Auckland citizen. Yeah, I think they see a lot of different um, texting and rating systems in place that they don't necessarily see translated into um, anything coming their way. Mm. So they feel that they have a targeted rate, they have a fuel tax, and, and what do they get for it, right? Well, we've got our tank water and we have to take our rubbish uh, in bags that we pay for to the street. So what are we actually getting? And I think 
it's 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 that feeling from communities that that we have to hook into as politicians and to say well actually um what do you need for your towns and and why is it not coming this way or also letting them know um the sort of investments that are happening that they may not be aware of now you mentioned um Beth before and she's a very active um local um politician and i think she's done a great job um, you know you you always see her um jumping up on, on issues. Mm -hmm. um, and, and Chris is a, is a very pleasant, um, we have a very, um, we have a, quite a nice uh, relationship on Twitter, um, you know. <laughs> is that possible? It is absolutely <laughs> possible. And um, I think it is important because it doesn't matter um, what color you are, at the end of the day, if you do it for the right reasons, you're there for the people. And being in government as a list MP, has huge benefits over being an electorate MP who can't have access readily to the ministers. So you need to work together. The electorate MP um, has been uh, given more resources to do the job and uh, working at a constituent case level, um, working on the issues, they may have more knowledge than you have of the in-depth in issues. So. I think combining your your strengths is really helpful. And so this is the picture I paint to my communities. Like when I did this morning in Wellsford, I said, look, by all means, make sure you keep your dialogue open with the other politicians as well, because you're very um, you know, likely ending up with more than one in this area, which I think is great, um, because the area traditionally only ever had um, a national party representative. I'm the first Labour member parliament based in the area. Nice. I said, so make sure that um, you know we can both work on your behalf and this being such a large area and I live up in the north and Chris lives just outside yes, of the we'll area just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, you know it, there's a lot of ground for us to cover and if we can somehow combine, combine I was going to say are you two sure you're friends because I don't think you can get any yes. more geographically we couldn't, we couldn't be further apart <laughs> exactly and uh, I'm sure Chris is going to hate me pointing out time after time that he doesn't live in the electorate um, you know I'm sure, yeah uh, it, it's, look it's, it's you know it's not a it's not a big deal at the end of the day I think it's important you're in tune with your communities and and, and living amongst them is, is helpful you know and so um, I, I think what 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 I love about Lee and, and Lee is the very first place I came to in 1989 when I first came to New Zealand I was um, invited by the by the Heslam family and the Guinness family to come in. Um, oh, good old uh, Mark, oh, and Mark yeah. and, and That's right, and, and, that's right. And uh, the kids, yeah. uh, Nikki and Annabelle. Yeah, yeah. And so I worked with one of their boyfriends at the time. And so... Um, we'll talk about that afterwards. Oh, yeah, I don't know if we should go there. <laughs> um, and I can't remember much of that Christmas, by the way. <laughs> but anyway, that, so that was my, that was my introduction to uh, Kiwi culture. Okay. Um, and it was a, it's, it's a lovely memory I have of that area. So... Lee is also the only um, voting booth when, where we won the party vote. So all of Rodney, through all of Rodney, there was only one that we won, Labour won the party, uh, the party vote, and that was in Lee. So look, I, I, have, to, <laughs> I have to also put my hand up and, and have full disclosure here that, okay. that, that Zephyr Brand, the Green candidate, yeah. is actually a... Because he lives in T-Point, right? Friend acquaintance, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, Fair so, enough. So, he, he seems a very nice bloke too. Zephyr's a sound bloke. Yeah, yeah and I reckon he should cool. put himself up for more than just getting the party vote out. And you know, uh, you, when you go back and listen to the, the podcasts, yeah. um, he was eloquent, articulate, Absolutely on point. And, yeah. and fundamentally, I had an interesting conversation with my son the other day, Miles, and I was saying, you know, um, for me, Tony Benn, 
in the UK was, and you know, I mean, if people can just ignore my left slanting here a, a little, we we'll just talk about politics because there are perfectly good examples on the other side of the political sure. spectrum. But say um, Tony Benn or Bernie Sanders, if you like, are people who um, their principles never changed throughout their political career. Yeah. And they knew their principles, they knew what they stood for. Uh, they didn't change direction in the wind, they didn't change direction under political pressure. They, they had principles, they, they fought for what they thought was right. And, and you know, sometimes it worked against them. Sure. Um, and actually when I was talking to Zephyr the other day, I, I, thought, I thought, actually this is, you know, although I've known you as a friend for years, you actually, I can see that you're a person of your principles. And, you know, and, and so was Chris and so was Beth. Um, so that's also been a refreshing thing having these conversations because, you know, one of the things, especially if we look at social media and the world that we live in is, you know, it, we're in very much danger of living in an echo chamber. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's actually really, it's, it's very awful. And if you look at um, candidate debates recently, whether they're in New Zealand or whether they're in America, it just seems to be, rather than a, a contest of ideas, what I always talk about, it mm. seems to be a... Uh, a personality type sloganish mm. one-sided exchange well i think the thing you know actually quoting cnn from the other night mm. i think the cnn anchor actually says well that was a shit show <laughs> well that's probably <laughs> putting it in a nutshell <laughs> yeah which thing would you had to yeah. sum it up in that's a right of words. And, that, and that is and yeah. what what do people learn from that a couple of things i think it learns them that perhaps getting engaged with politics is not really um of benefit because really what, what do you learn from a debate like that just it, it's just shouting match and quite often it just reinforces the views that people already held yeah. um, and it also basically um, teaches us and it shouldn't that um, slogans and sound bites work and that yeah. whatever you put out there as a, as a fact um, it's not even challenged like there's one particular example in the leaders debate that really got up my nose because we have done so fantastic um, in New Zealand with our approach to COVID um, and getting on top of that virus. And, you know, I know that Prime Minister always talks about the team of five million, but, but we have done very good as a country. Yet the leader of the opposition said that, oh, you know, we were slow off the mark and Samoa, you know, closed up much faster than we did. Well, actually, Samoa was one day later. Mm -hmm. We were 19 March, they were 20 March. But mm -hmm. that doesn't get challenged. So that gets right. thrown out there. And people hear it and the ones that... If you throw it out enough times, it becomes true. Yeah. It, it is the similar thing that I was dealing with in Wellsford when people said, oh, you guys are no good with the money. When I told them about the nine consecutive surpluses and the debt reduction that the, the Labour government did under Helen Clark and Michael Cullen, oh, they called the rubbish. They said, oh, that's bullshit. Actually, I'm going to I'm going to jump on the devil's advocate. Here, okay, though. yeah, you do it. I'm going to do the prickly thing and go, because what just put this little voice in my head said when you were okay with money. Um, a couple of people have asked me to talk, to talk to you about that green school debacle. Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, do you know much about it? See, the, the, this is the thing, right? As a backbench MP, and you're not privy to any of the discussions that are going on within that, um, you know, that cabinet, yeah. you, I don't really know. So all I really know is that that wasn't about uh, education. So it wasn't an investment in education. It was an investment into infrastructure. Yeah. We have, of course, always been very vocal about um, the charter schools and how we don't believe that, you know, that kind of investment is the right thing to do. You need to um, really invest in your, your public services. And that's what we have been doing. Yeah. It felt counterintuitive that the money went there. And, you know, that's my personal, personal view. But then having heard the explanations... Uh, about the infrastructure and yeah, so 
Well, look, you know, I think this is another a couple of things with this. First of all, too many people go through life thinking there's black and white, but everything is always a shade of grey in between. And also that goes for everything in life. It goes for political opinion. One could even argue sexuality, religious, spirituality. That's it's always a shade of grey. Um, and it's actually refreshing talking with you four guys where there's been points where people put their hand up and go, yeah, well, actually don't quite know, or actually it didn't, didn't feel right, or this probably isn't the, the party line, but my thoughts on this are. And to me, that's, that's for New Zealand politics, because obviously I'm a, a bit of a newbie to it, it's a really refreshing thing. Now, just before we go any further, you just mentioned charter schools, and this was one area, just for those people who listen, if you can hear funny sounds in the background, <laughs> um, uh, uh, Maya and me are just meeting in a little room off Walkworth High Street, and um, somebody is not doing their bit for their somebody's not doing their bit for the environment just passing at the minute. But hey, that's fine. Hey, so look, um, uh, yeah, so so actually, um, education policy in general, which is interesting. So I sat down with Beth, and what I've done with these meetings is I've actually on purpose not trawled through policy differences because I thought it'd be interesting for me to sit down and come from my political standpoint and some of the things that concern me, etc. Um, Rachel and I are probably slightly educational anarchists to agree. We homeschooled our child for a while. It was pretty obvious to me a Victorian babysitting service isn't probably fit for, fit for the future moving forward. Um, and when I had the conversation with Beth, you know, it was, it was a very compelling, interesting argument that we, instead of this quarter of a million you know, dollars over a charge education. We give them like 18,000 or whatever it is a year that they can dip into and do this and do that. And from a utopian perspective, it sounds ideal, but actually there are several points I think, and I think you, you talked about this, that some, that's easily, easily manipulated by the many to the disadvantage of the few mm. in some respects. So what's your thoughts? Well, give us some of your thoughts on that and why it's now that's, that's assuming that everybody is on an even base and whether you're talking about um, education, charter schools versus uh, public uh, services or whether you're talking about um, you know, businesses uh, being able to, um, to, to run freely without restrictions and the fact that the market will sort it out. We have seen that doesn't work. So you're ending up with um, you know, um, the, the partner in that relationship, you know, that, that's, that's um, not quite equal to the other and a little bit more vulnerable. And they are having so many more hurdles to overcome to get to an equal place that, you, that, that competition is basically just favouring the ones who's already in the starting blocks. Um, so I, I guess what we saw in the education space is that when there was a pot of money, um, there was, an, uh, there was a, an uneven opportunity for some people to get to that pot. And competition drives basically the lowest common denominator. Um, we saw it in, in businesses with uh, employment uh, legislation. If you're going to take away measures that put the employer and the employee on more of an even keel, the employer then will be able to, through competition um, with other um, businesses, uh, run run a business on a, a lower margin and then the, the next person along will, will have to cut those margins a, a little bit more and before you know it you ended up in a race to the bottom or the survival of the fittest or whatever you want to call it mm. and that's not right I mean yeah. there's a really good I, I love that little um, there's a clip uh, on social media it's been around for a while but it, it puts a whole heap of people just a, a cross section of, of, of a country all different people in, a, in, a, in an equal line 
next to each other. And then there's, uh, say, there's a, a $1,000 at the end that they all could achieve. So you're starting off, say, with 100 people, and that $100 at the end uh, could all be yours. But we're going to ask you questions, and if this applies to you, you can take one step forward. Right? So everybody has the same opportunity. But then they say, so who of you comes from a broken family? Okay, everyone else can take a step forward. Who had uh, breakfast ready for them when they went to school? You can take a step forward. Who never had to worry about where their family was going to live? You can take a step forward. And so at the end, there was a few people of the hundred left who basically didn't even realize that they were privileged because, oh, well, my family had it tough because, you know, we always had to uh, be careful with our money and my mum, you know, she always had to um, work very hard to, uh, to get us extras. And I heard someone the other day in, 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 uh, in our um, coalition in, in the house say, um, you know, with, with, with lazy, it was about um, uh, young people sitting on the couch and not, for example, uh, getting up out of bed and going to school. And he said, look, if, if I wanted to try and skip school, my mum would come in and kick my butt. She would make sure I went to school, you know. So, but he, it was a given for him that he had a mother and that he had a mother at home, not out working or doing a night shift, uh, to kick his butt and to make his breakfast or to tell him to make breakfast. So it is kind of like this, this, this privileged position that people don't even realize it's privileged position. And, and, and so, no, not everybody has equal opportunities. So you can't make um, the systems not, not cater for that. And I think it's an important point because obviously we have to look at things in life from our perspective because that's the only perspective we have many times. Yeah. And if you've not been raised around that, that type of poverty or you've not had friends or acquaintances from that, how, first of all, how would you know? And you form a stereotype of that, you know, obviously. And there is a huge difference between equality and equity. You know, that's always been the case. It's not the same as giving everybody the equal opportunity because some people need a hand up even to get to the base where they can have that equal opportunity. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, and that was, going back to Beth actually, you know, and one of the conversations there and also um, Chris to a degree was talking where, you know, because obviously I had a long conversation with the environment and sustainability with Zephyr, obviously as you would do. And, you know, you know, we do our little bit. We, we, we like earth buildings, we like electric cars, we've got a little leaf and all, you know, you do, you do what you can do. <laughs> yeah. um, but again, you know, it was, there was the, the argument that we just, you know, you do it from your perspective. So you can say, well, we'll just reverse the zero carbon bill, but I'll start allowing oil and gas again. Mm. Um, because, you know, and also, you know, we'll, 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 we'll let farmers carry on doing exactly what they, I mean, we, we live in a rural, you know, friends of farmers and yeah, some yeah. very responsible yeah, farmers, et cetera, sure. but, you yeah. know, it, it, yeah. we, it's, it's, it, it's not, it's not, um, it's not, it's not a miss, you know, it's not a mystery to anybody that that activity harms the environment, but, you know, it's a question of how much and how it's managed, et cetera. Yeah, but exactly. I guess the point I'm getting to is that there comes a point with bigger picture stuff like that, which aren't things that face us every day, specifically, yes, specifically the environment and the sustainability. You know, it's not something where we see a tangible change from day to day. Yeah. It's a long term thing, you know, and it'll affect countries, much poorer countries around the world before it affects New Zealand. But what we do here will affect that. Yeah. So my argument to, to, to Beth and, and Chris to a degree was, you know, it's uh, it's. There are things like that where we have to give that control to government. We have to put some safety nets in place mm. 
that are a bit uncomfortable because actually human nature from an individual perspective very little people would do anything about it because well, it, doesn't, it doesn't directly affect them. This is the thing, right? I mean, if you're talking about goals that are 2030 or even 2050, hmm. how do you get people to... It, that's the thing about taking it on personal, right? Like if you say if it doesn't affect me or if it's a little bit you know, inconvenient hmm. and it's still another 30, 40 years away before I would even... And would I even see the change... Um, there's, there's an inherent selfishness in, in human nature. And, and I think that is something that we really need to, um, as a government, I feel that we need to put those rules in place so, so people underst understand why it is and, and get the messages out there. It's the same, I think, when you're looking at the, um, the cannabis legislation, for example. Hmm. It is all, all good and well to say, oh, look, you know, if you're going to make... Um, cannabis legalized and more people are going to use it so let's just say we'll keep it as it is um, it is illegal and we'll deal to people that are that are using it well that is just closing your eyes to status quo that's basically saying well whatever we have now is how it should be working and we know it's broken so you need to put things in place you need to have um, some kind of a, a regulated framework around an issue that's a problem so that you can actually educate uh, control and and make sure that yeah, the end outcome is better than what you're currently sitting in. Actually, let, let's go down that rabbit hole a little bit because um, it's one subject which I've not talked about with the other candidates because the intent was to always do a, a further episode with Sandra from Make It, uh, but I'm not too sure that's going to happen. So look, th th this is from my perspective, and I'll try and be as open as honest as I can. Yes. Um, never been a recreational drug user, any part, apart from, you know, weekend to Amsterdam and a, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a muffin just to see what happens type of thing, which yeah. is, I think, a right of passage of any young <laughs> European. Um, and quite frankly, I prefer a nice, I prefer a glass of, 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 of wine. <laughs> but, I thought you might say ice cold beer because yeah. it's such a hot day. But <laughs> I have used CBD at times in my life for medical you know, sure. various medical issues, yeah. and it's been amazing. Yeah. Okay, so here's my take on this. Mm -hmm. First of all, can we talk about this referendum? Because so many people I talk to think that this vote on the 17th or whenever they vote in this election means that the day after, if, if, the referee, if it goes through, mm -hmm. it becomes legal. But yeah. it's not. It's yeah. just a vote to enable it to be discussed in Parliament. Now, have I got that right? Yeah, or absolutely. Wrong? And I think, Craig, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it is different with the end of life. Um, choice bill, but with this particular bill, it would just um, it would just enable us to have the discussions, to get people to come in and submit on the issues, and 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 have it out in the open. Mm. So, I am really hoping, and I've been very um, you know, open from the start that that I would be a yes voter, not because um, you know. Uh, I, 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 I encourage the use of it, or in fact, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that, that later on. Um, but I, I do want us to look at the problem that we are having at the moment, where people are getting criminalised for it. Now, like everyone else, I don't want young people to have access to it. I've got a young boy, and I, I'd hate mm -hmm. for him to be able to say, oh, well, um, you know, uh, the messaging is that I can... But I don't believe that's what it does. I believe that... Um, this is an example here. Say, for example, you're a parent of a young child and the principal calls you up and he says, now we've just caught your child uh, using cannabis. 
As a parent, would you like the police to arrive to get your boy or, or girl? Or would you like uh, a support or service worker to come along and, and help with the issue? Now, and that's what it is at the moment, right? At the moment, it would be the police because we're criminalizing it. But we actually want to make sure that the health messaging around it and being proactive and getting health messages out around cannabis mm. use, and that we can do that. And, and that is one of many positives, I think, in, yeah, in I having think, the discussion. Yeah, and I, I think I, there are so many examples around the world where, where first of all, I, I've known people in my life who've been addicts to either one thing or another. Yeah. Um, some of them are close friends, some of them have been acquaintances. Um, and it's, it's obvious from this that the substance is never the issue, it's the addiction. That's right. Right, so if we were to take the most dangerous substance off the streets of New Zealand tomorrow, it would be alcohol. That's right. Without a shadow of a doubt. Yet people are quite happy with that because it's regulated, it's controlled, etc., etc. Your kids can't easily walk into a shop and buy it. Okay, so this is this is one of the first things. Um, and then the, 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 to me, the, the the most first of all, this is the whole social media thing where people go, they just shout something loud enough, and that's it. Um, everything is always more nuanced than that. And specifically, you know, I we're fortunate enough to live and travelled around the world in different places and seen how things are handled in different countries. But the elephant in the room here is, if you vote no, things will stay the same. And how things are at the moment are criminal gangs are profiteering off it. Um, the stuff that they're growing and, and selling is not that cruisy, mellow stuff you used to get from Ashbury in the in 60s fact, and I 70s. I think Petra Gower said some of it would fry your brain immediately. Yeah. And, um, uh, but all, uh, so also, you know, you're not able to, so the people who are profiting, profiting from it are criminal. If we just take out the, you know, the friends growing it for their friends and all this kind of stuff. Sure. Secondly, you've got no potency control. That's right. and, and thirdly, it's just a case of, you know, it's accessible by anybody because it's not regulated. Yeah. And so if people vote no, things just, in, just carry on as they are. So if people vote yes, what we're doing is, first of all, we can, I mean, this is my take. Tell me if I'm getting yeah, it wrong yeah, yeah, or how, yeah. how it aligns yeah. with, with what you think. Um, First of all, we, we, we take the money earning away from the criminal element. Absolutely, yeah. We can raise some tax revenue yeah. from that Probably and do some good things with it. million a year, Yeah, roughly. yeah. Let's face it, I'll be quite, you know, and taking that a stage further, um, if New Zealand ever wanted to, to produce a decent cash crop from its clean green image to, to be done internationally, you know, it wouldn't do the country any harm, I don't think. Yep. Um, so it's just all of these things, which just, it just seems There's another no big one, Craig. There's, there's also the $200 million a year that we're spending on locking people up. And right. of course, okay, we're locking yes. up uh, disproportionately as well, because we know that Maori are, are much more affected. Um, you know, you talk to... to talk but it's to, not the drug, it's their poverty. That's right, that's right. Yeah. So there's an inherent discrimination factor in that as well. So just taking it away from um, just locking people up and criminalising to education and control... And, and I think that, that like I said, there's, there's, and, and you pointed them out, there are several strengths onto where having control over um, what goes out, first of all, is, is important, but also taking it away from being um, illegally traded, um, hmm. taking it away from the gangs. Because at the moment, like you said, we don't know what goes out there. And in that documentary that Peter Gower did, they did come across some stuff that nobody should be using. And under... Uh, legislation and that wouldn't be allowed or at least it would be that would be criminalized right well yeah but it'd be one of these things where 
the the access of it would be much more restricted to the i mean look you know i i talk openly to my my son about drugs or anything else he wants to speak to and you know my take on it is you'd be absolutely out of your mind to touch that stuff before you're 20 or 25 because the medical evidence shows that it's not a good thing for a young developing brain you know once you're into your 25s or something and if it's used responsibly it's probably no more harmful than a, a, a decent coffee addiction or a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, anyway, yeah. we, we need to talk about obviously you know is it safe to drive? How are we going to test all of this and that type of thing? But that's an issue now, regardless or not whether it's regulated. Well, it is. And also people forget that there are already laws like the Land Transport Act and the Health and Safety and Work um, Act, where there are already safeguards for any kind of um, being under the influence, whether that's uh, alcohol or drugs. There is already um, obligations on employers and employees to being safe in the workplace. Land Transport Act makes it, it, makes it an offence to be under the influence. So I mean, obviously, there needs to be more legislation around it, but but it's not a free for all and, and and all totally open. I think the point that you're making about talking openly to your your son is really important, and I think not everybody wants to do that at the moment because because there are no laws really around it except for that it's criminalised. You kind of put it away in a dark corner and and just sort of hope that you know um, people kids wouldn't be touching it. Now, I grew up in Holland, and when I say that, people straight away make this face like, oh, yeah, you know it all. Uh, not only did I live in Holland for, for 25 years, I lived on top of a coffee shop or a hash cafe or whatever you want to call it in Amsterdam. We probably passed in the street. Yeah, I might have seen you there <laughs> trying your muffin. <laughs> not once in three years that I lived there had, did I have a desire to go and try it out. Yeah. Because you could just get it. What was the attraction, right? I mean, and there was also education around what drugs can do for your young brain. So I wasn't interested at all. The funny thing is, when I came to New Zealand, this is a little bit of a, you know, <laughs> revelation, but when I came to New Zealand in 89 and I was at the party and somebody was passing one of those joints around, they said to me, oh, you want to give it a go? And I said, oh, no, I'm from Holland, you know, we can just, you know, whatever. I've never been interested. And they said, oh, but it's illegal here. You're not allowed to do this. And all of a sudden, I thought, oh, well, <laughs> if it's forbidden, maybe I should give it a go. So, I mean, the whole idea of saying, well... The tabooness of it, yeah. That's right. So, you know, it, yeah, I think it's, it's really education is the key, you know. You, you, you. Yeah, but it's also the same, you know, one could argue, again, if I, if I, you know, one could argue that the, the same conversations need to be had about sex and sexuality, the same conversations need to be had. But actually, this is the same conversations need to be made about financial literacy and politics and how the world works, because they're almost taboo to some extent. It should extent. all be in civics education. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. If you put two people in a room to argue whether cannabis was good or bad for you, you could you could carry on make forever. Make a case either way. You could make yeah. a case either way. Yeah. Um, but this, for me, this isn't a referendum about that. This is a referendum of it's out there, it's used. That's never going to stop. Pro prohibition has never worked anywhere in the world in human history, and it's probably not going to start start to. Um, it's a it's a it's a case of regulation, control. Uh, and making it safe for the people that do use it. Mm. Yeah, look, and, and, and being able to put your hand up and ask for help, knowing you're not going to get criminalised. And so what you what you started to say, I think, is absolutely right. And, and, and people need to remember that this bill is not about bringing cannabis to New Zealand. 
cannabis is well and truly in New Zealand. But by having some legislation around it, we can have frameworks, we can have safety measures, we can have education, we can have health provisions. And that's what we need for, for any issue that we're dealing with. Just putting it in a dark corner and hoping the best. How is that ever going to work out? Oh, but you know, it's... Um, I, I, I can't imagine how parents out there would not raise this subject with their children at an appropriate time on the premise that hopefully if they don't talk about it, they won't come across it. This, this, it's just endemic. You know, it's but just it's, it's, you know, as great as you can with your kid, but I mean, how many families for starters um, have issues already within the family dynamics? So perhaps broken homes or, you know, whatever you want to call it. But also how many kids leave home never having had a frank discussion about sexuality hmm. and they pick it up either from school and if school doesn't do it they hear it from their friends or maybe they see it on the internet you know uh, god forbid but it's it's just human nature that some of these topics are uncomfortable territory and and even talking about it might make some parents think well if we're going to talk about cannabis um they might go and want to try it so maybe they just put a blind eye to it and, and well. Yeah, exactly. And and if you if you want to go through life assuming your twelve year old child's not seen pornography, yeah. you've probably got another thing coming. Yeah. In fact, they might even be able to tell you a thing or two. <laughs> Most know? likely. Um, yeah, yeah. And so, it, it, to me, it's 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 sort of these are things that we deal with in life. This is part of growing up. Mm. You know, part of growing up is doing things that are a bit risky or taboo or not allowed or um, discovering your path to being an adult. And to me, any policy or any framework that's put in place that, that supports that, takes away any criminalization, enables a young person or a family of a young person to put their hand up and say, we need some help with this. You know, because, you know, if I had a child and I found out they had a gambling addiction or a, a cannabis addiction, you know, no, not gambling, but I had a cannabis addiction, and I, I'd go, well, actually, if I go for it, does that, he'll, he'll be criminal, you know, is that going to be criminalised if he's of age? You know, it's like, so it takes that away, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think, you know, really, at the end of the day, this vote is about having the discussion, bringing the discussion to a forum where all of us have an opportunity to voice our pros and cons about it. There would be, uh, we would be asking for submissions, people would be, be, be uh, appearing or writing in about why it should or shouldn't be legalised. And from then, you can, you know, th the next steps will come. Um, but not having a discussion in the first place, and that's what a no vote would do, is keeping us in a place we are in now, which is not a good place. It's turning a blind eye. It's not having the discussions necessarily with your children or out in the open or at schools. And people just going in and making their own rules and regulations. No, that's, that's just not good. We know most people will say the situation it is at the moment, it's not a good situation. We don't like it. Well, then we have to have some change. So let's have the discussion and we can start looking at what change would be good. Mm. Brilliant. I think we've. I think we can draw 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 a line. <laughs> yeah. we, can, we can draw a line and and and, and, good. and good talk discussion. about that. Thank you. But I think it was important to have that because I was tr truly, honestly, shocked by the number of people I spoke to who assumed this was going to make cannabis legal, and that's not the case. So look, I, we can go through individual policies and where you differ from national and where you differ from acts and all this kind of thing. But in all fairness, people can easily go and find that out themselves and scratch their head. Although or... I don't know if it's that easy to do. Okay. Honestly. Yeah. Well, no, I was looking at um, yeah. the, the spin-off to the great website where you could actually go through and like all the different policies and it sort of and it gave tells you, you where you end up. Well, yeah. you know, 
hopefully you've, you've got a bit better over there. But yeah, okay, so I mean, yeah. before I move on to some of the other things you want to talk about, from your perspective, are there any sort of policies that have enough clear water between Labour and the the other parties? Well, it's obviously specifically oh, yeah, national look, at the moment. Absolutely, and, and I've always felt, um, and I don't think I have, I, I identified with, I, I never identified with a particular party per se, mm -hmm. and being, um, identifying myself with Labour actually really only came when I started to look in depth at policies and thinking, oh, that's where I belong. Okay. Um, otherwise, it was kind of sort of like figuring out values. And the, the, for me, the most important reason to, to do this role is, is the inequality first of all, and, and, and uh, the gap that was growing and, and the fact that um, the people that didn't have it so um, good um, were ending up on the streets and not being able to raise their kids in homes or, you know, going, kids going to school without, without shoes on. And where I see the massive difference is, is that we are acknowledging that there is an issue and we are putting things in place that will support um, people in that position. So, for example, one of the things, the first things we did was putting in the, the family package. So making sure that, you know, families that need it get an extra $75 in their pocket to at least make ends meet. Um, but leap forward to where we are now in the COVID situation, I think that's our most significant difference where we are saying, look, obviously it's important that we keep a lid on our debt, but it's not the be all and end all. Yeah. The most important thing for us is to make sure that our health response continues as we have now, right? A strong health response means that you can start rebuilding and kickstarting the economy yeah. faster than many other places, which we are. If you're going to say, look, we want to keep a lid on, on our debt and we want to start repaying our debt faster as well, um, but we're going to give everybody tax cuts. It means that something's going to suffer and most likely that it'll be your public services, whether that's health, education, police. And so what we are very clear about is that, no, there could never be any tax cuts at this stage because all of those areas need investment. They needed it when we first came in in 2017 and they need it even more now because we're coming off the back of a pandemic global crisis. So forget that 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 focus solely on 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 building up debt and you know because there is actually a really good plan how we're going to deal with that anyway but yeah so, so actually <clears throat> staying on the subject of this first of all from a personal perspective and for probably the majority of people and friends and you know um Auntie Cindy was a was a yeah. was a was a, a, a regular watch on on live YouTube feeds yeah, and sure. and I don't think Actually, I'll go as far as this. If anybody from other parties say that they don't think Jacinda handled this particularly well, uh, that's just political point scoring from my perspective because I, I think it's been exemplary. Well, it's been recognised all over the world anyway. And, and, and results speak for themselves. And results speak for themselves. Um, but obviously there is a concern. And, and you know, <clears throat> at the start of this, we never really knew exactly what this virus was capable of. And... Uh, and it's always better to be more cautious than less cautious. And obviously, level four came in, but then you have the people who, you know, going, oh, yeah, but the butchers and the bakers should have been mm. able to open and this and that. And and in this second lockdown, um, I, th I think that was recognised. And and hats off to you guys for doing that, because certainly, you know, my, my wife and her business partner have a the little pigments art shop in Matacana. Little plug, oh, right. little, little plug there, go get your supplies. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> and, um, 
And this is their first few months of trade. And so it's been, yeah. been brilliant. It's and, and, and the yeah. wage subsidy and all that stuff has been fantastic. So anybody who tries to score political points off that, and I don't care what party they come from, yeah. I just think that's actually being fairly mean-spirited and disingenuous. Yeah. disingenuous. Yeah. The, the sort of niggly voice behind all of this, which is really interesting from, from, from my perspective, and again, not all of my facts are completely straight, so please go and do your own research. Um, there's almost no recognition that the, 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 the world we're in from a financial money markets, economy, capitalism, whatever, uh, I, I don't for one moment condone communism or those systems. Extremes at either end of the spectrum never work. That's obviously, that's been shown. But there's almost a heading, just the same with climate change and sustainability to that degree. I almost feel like nations have their head in the sand as regard to the global economy and what that's going to look like moving forward. I mean, here we are, I probably some of the major economies in the world are heading to negative interest rates. People don't really understand the, 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 what that means, but it's normally a good warning sign that the can's been kicked That's down right. the road yeah. far too long. Yeah. Um, we have massive asset bubbles around the world. Yeah. But these are things which don't affect, you know, people don't think of this, like they're standing in countdown getting this. And I'm not trying mm. to say people are dullards, they're not, but it's not on people's radar. Yeah. Um, one could argue that, you know, and the three-year political cycle doesn't help, obviously, with long-term planning, mm. instinctively. But what's your thoughts on, on that? You know, is, are we at the point where the, the global economy no longer works for the vast, vast majority of people? Yeah, I, I actually think that um, it's, it's easy to end up in your own bubble. And so I think that's, that's definitely happened um, where we are now. So, um, and, and I think COVID put a very different... Um, has put a very different context around around that issue. There was no play, playbook for COVID, and and so how we handled it and how we're going to rebuild and recover from it is very. The way people see that is very focused on New Zealand, and when they're talking about things like, um, oh, I can't believe really, I can't even remember the numbers, but GDP going to hit, um, you know, whatever thirty percent or fifty percent, and it's, it's it's actually a number. Yeah. And and when you're talking about negative interest rates. Um, I look at a country like Holland, where it's now going to cost you um, money to have it in the bank, um, and, and people have sort of moved into that situation gradually, um, because as you said, the kid's been kicked down the road for too long. Um, but in, in many other countries, when they started off on their COVID um, recovery or COVID response, they were sitting in, in, a, in a way worse position than we are. We started off on less than 20% GDP. And GDP, again, is, is I'm not even saying that's the right... I like what Bhutan do when they say it's the gross, it's the gross happiness product. Yeah. They do their GHP. <laughs> yeah. And they measure their, their, yeah. their, their country's wealth as how many people well, are that's why we had. That, that's why we started the wellbeing budget, for starters, right? Because you need to actually... And, and good on them, because... Yeah. Really, you need to get away from um, solely measuring things in, in dollars and cents because at the end of the day, a lot of that can be corrupted. And um, if we don't look at the effects of, um, of, for example, economic growth on tangible effects on child poverty or people being able to um, afford a warm, dry home, then what does the figure mean? And we can pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, look at that, we, we've got, we're great because compared to countries that we, um, you know, relate to, 
our GDP is this much and they have that much. But actually, which countries have the um, the least child poverty or? So how do we weather? How do we measure a nation's wealth? And it should not be monetarily. No, that's right. And and so I think when you're talking about you know um, in in a global context, I think. The numbers that people hear and, and are used as, as fear-mongering exercises quite often, like the, um, you know, what the opposition at the moment is doing about the debt being built up, being on your children, and quoting this many, you know, dollars per person. It is actually, it's actually not giving people any real sense of of the current situation or, or, or the plans to get out of it or, or the plans forward. Mm. It it all works again. It comes down to slogans and people's perceptions of what things stand for. So uh, GD, GDP as a measurement is, is just, it's just... It's a number. And I think uh, you just told me, you just, I just had a bit of data. But actually, yeah. just a quick one. Yeah. That I learned the other day that if you have a person who's healthy and just goes through life without, you know, any real incidents, and you compare that to the situation of a person who breaks their leg, is out of work, needs revalidation, the GDP number in the latter situation goes up. You actually have a higher GDP because there's yes. many more... Because there's more services involved I mean, and things. It's, yeah, just, exactly. it's, it's, it's ridiculous. So it just, you just took me back to a point where um, the first few years in New Zealand, I was flying back to work for London maybe once a year or whatever, and I, I met with a client at a little a cafe Lebanese cafe at the back of Harrods where the, where the exit oh, from the lovely. car park is. Yeah. So we're sitting there having some nice flatbreads or whatever, talk, you know, trying to put the world right. And we were watching the, the door open up and out came from there, it was a Bentley, and it had this bright gold bonnet on it. Oh my God. And I said to the guy who I was meeting, I went, look, that's really tacky. Who would spray their car bonnet bright gold? And he goes, I've got news for you, that's not spray. No it says, way. It says, um, that that guy owns the, the, the all the apartment blocks around the back, and the the gold the bonnet is gold. Oh, that's so sick! But the, the thing with this is, right next to the exit was a homeless guy yeah. on the street, yeah. and I actually thought I'm going to I'm going to go over and you know, there's some mental illness on my dad's side of my family, so yeah. um, I went over and had a chat with this guy, yeah. and he was actually a university professor who um, his his marriage broke down, oh, um, wow. his children tragically died in a car crash and there was no support system for him and he went into severe depression and, and just became life on the street for him. Um, and one thing I've noticed tangibly in Auckland in the roughly 10 years that we've been living up here is I think everybody noticed the same. You walk down Queen Street or places and the number of people sleeping rough and the number of people with quite clear mental health issues uh, the level of inequality has just become stratospheric, you know, and that's not just New Zealand, you know, that's throughout the world. Um, and this is why I'll always be a socialist at heart, because if you don't have that strong social fabric and support system, how can we live our lives? That's right. And and, and, and this is the problem. You, you can't just say that, um, you know, putting equal basis in for everyone will sort everything out because you've been given the opportunity and it's all about um, self-determination, but it's not. And, and life treats everybody differently. And so if you are in a situation where you do need just a little bit of extra support to get yourself back up and going, then we need to make sure we provide it. And, 
As an example, um, when I first came to New Zealand 30 years ago, there was no homeless. In fact, I spoke to someone the other day. They had an organization in Auckland and they had one homeless person in their area. Mm-hmm. And so the whole organization spent all of their time to housing this <laughs> homeless person. That was the most person. pampered homeless person That's in right. New Zealand. Existence. But there was one, you yeah. know. And so, and, and so, as you said, over the last you know, years, we, we see more and more and more of it. Now, to try and paint a picture that the measures that um, the current government has put in place has exacerbated homelessness, I think it's so corrupt because you have to look... So are people trying to paint that picture? Oh, yeah, well, we've heard opposition say things like, Uh, you know, the lists have grown and there are way more homeless people now. But we also know that um, the government sets criteria. So if you have a homeless... uh, Sorry, if you have, have a waiting list for state housing, for example... There are two things. First of all, you have your criteria. So if the criteria for someone having uh, a couch available in a friend's house prevents you from going on the list, then you keep your list artificially short. And that was the case at the time. Couch serving was not part of being uh, eligible for a house. And, And the other thing, of course, is, and I spoke to home builders about this, they have a whole heap of people coming forward now putting their name on a state house um, waiting list because they know houses are being built. If you only see them being sold for 10 years in a row, why would you even put your name up for it? It's, it's a hopeless situation. So, similar, yeah, similar thing in the UK. Obviously, I, I grew up yeah. within the Margaret Thatcher era where yeah. all, the vast majority of our state housing stock was sold off. That's right. Yeah. So, and, I saw, and I saw the price that, that people in the communities paid for that yeah. and still are, really. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and this is a situation you create. That, I mean, we saw that after the GFC when we entered a period of austerity and there was cuts in the public systems and this is a situation that we are still and for a while will be living with because that continues. Mm. What happened then is that, for example, all the uh, apprentices got laid off. That's the first thing that happened. And then you come to a place where you want to rebuild your country, you haven't got your own workforce, so you have to start importing them. So now you are reliant on immigrant, immigrant labour. And so what we have done from the start is we've said no, this is a moment for us to build back better, uh, Grant Robertson always says. So one of the things we've done is to make the apprenticeships free and to do the apprenticeship boost where employers, when they keep them on or when they uh, employ extra apprentices, they get subsidised for that. Mm-hmm. And so you're building up your own people. And I, I, like, I like the fact that um, when Grant read his budget speech, he referred to the glimmer of silver lining on the darkest of clouds. And that's what he referred to, this particular moment in time, when we can actually build back better. We look at how things were handled after the GFC, and we've learned from it. So we are going to do things differently. We're not going to cut back on, on public services. We're not going to cut back on our, on our own people. But actually, it's about investing in people. And that means you know, creating jobs, retraining people, giving the opportunities. And I think that gives people hope as well. So when I get up at my candidates meeting, I start by saying that I'll paint a picture of hope and of positive outcomes from a global pandemic where the advanced candidates got up and started shouting about, I'm going to be angry on your behalf. I'll be angry for all of you. And that doesn't help anyone. What does that do for a country like New Zealand? It just gets people more um, you know, desperate about the situation and it doesn't need to be because we have a good plan. Well, it's, it's, it's you know, here we are, uh, you know, in a country where both of us chose to call home. Yep. Uh, and it's a country that one of the few countries in the world that can easily feed and water its own people. 
it's probably one of the few countries in the world that could become completely sustainable energy-wise. Mm, absolutely. And it's one of the few countries in the world that's got COVID under control. Yep. So, my question, I mean, <laughs> the billion-dollar billion question, yeah. or, you know, if we talk, you know, if, it was, if, we were in, if we were in Lebanon, that would have gone up to about two billion in inflation by now, if we've been talking. Um, yeah. What's painting the picture of, of New Zealand's success story going forward? Because I, you know, you know, if we, if we look at um, Cort you know, Alexander Cortia, AOC in America, and the Green New Deal, yeah. and the, the actual the, the numbers behind that, and the, the research and all of the, the solid evidence behind it. It seems that New Zealand would be uniquely placed to look. First of all, it's it's a nation of very small businesses. Yeah, sure. Okay, um, you know we go down our high street like we look out at Walkworth now, and we apart from a handful of chains, we we see individual shops. It's a nation of shopkeepers. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's not that Kiwis can't be ingenious. In, no, in, in oh, absolutely, no. And the other thing is, you know, if we look back to the father of modern economics, you know, Adam Smith in Wealth of Nations. Yeah. Um, the only, actually, in talking about GDP, the only things that should be included in GDP are something that's made or a service that's been provided. Mm. You know, financial products shouldn't be included in it. Rent shouldn't be included in it. Compound interest shouldn't be included in the nation's GDP. What moves the nation forward is what they make and what they provide, yeah. what they create yeah, new, what they bring point. new to and the look, economy. Um, and we have a, a really good success story to tell, right? Um, and I can compare it straight away to where my parents are in Holland. So the Netherlands uh, is in the second or third wave, 3,000 new cases every day, every day. Mm -hmm. um, they haven't really taken any real strong measures to, um, to, to protect their people or their country. They sort of plodded along a little bit and tried this, that and the other. What, what happens is that they can never really get going. And so when we went in with a very strong health approach, it meant that that became our strongest economic response because mm. having um, control of COVID, as you said, means that you can open much faster. And I know it's been really tough for the businesses, but we tried to cushion that lower the wage subsidy that you alluded to. And that gave those businesses, you know, the small business owners in particular, it gave them uh, a moment to start just, just sit back and reassess what measures you need to take um, to remain sustainable. So it wasn't laying off people en masse in a hurry or it wasn't taking any, making any knee-jerk reactions. It actually provided the time to think about what's next. And so that was our initial reaction. And then from that, we are now being able to pretty much um, have an open economy. Because even though we're in level two, and I'm not sure because I haven't followed level the Level one from... It has? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah, I assume that... Of course, assume... of course it is. We're in an election cycle. <laughs> You're more cynical now. I'll put my um, pessimistic hat on. There you go. So, but, but, but it means that, that we're open, right? Yeah. And so we, we can, well, things can internally, continue. Internally, obviously, yeah. yeah. Well, internally, internally, yeah. but looking at some of the numbers that are coming out, it actually shows that there's, there's um, not as high an unemployment as we thought that yeah. would hit us, not as, um, I mean, all, all the numbers are pretty much better well, than look, we he, thought look, they would here's be. Here's something anecdotally for you. Mm. So, obviously, Rachel. Opened the, the pigment arts. No, I'll cut that. Right. <laughs> Rachel opened the, the, the store with Abby, her business yeah. partner, a few yeah. months back, and obviously surrounded by established businesses. And over the and over the past few months during COVID, and certainly in the school holidays, these businesses are actually up twenty or thirty percent, even compared to normal 
non-COVID yeah. times yeah. because more people are spending their money in New yeah, Zealand, more people are doing it, they're not going yeah. overseas, etc. Um, so, the, so the economic cost is never black and white. You know, there's always these strange things that happen. I guess what I'm alluding to, to Ira, is, is the bigger picture stuff. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, what next? And, I, and I think, and I think, when I'm talking to Zephyr and the Green, one of the things I love about the Greens is they're quite bold and they're quite. Some of their policies are, are quite um, ad- adventurous. Let's just use that word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and if anything, um, Zephyr's probably come up with Labour is, you, is you've been a bit too cautious. And I, my <laughs> argument, my argument to him was, well, you know, the, you know, they want to win the election again, and it's an election cycle, and you, and you, you can't, you know you have to be careful in these times but what i did like about a lot of the green stuff it was fairly adventurous you know their their their, their view of the, the green economy their view of sustainability and making new zealand and new zealand products a leader in the world for that for export um so i mean what's labor's perspective on that yeah look and, and i think it's it's valid comment to make to say that um you know, when we came in and we, we, we said we would be transformational, yeah. we haven't seen that transformation yet. But I always think about how um, when the Prime Minister talks about our policies, and, I, and, and this, so this is a little journey I'll take you on, right? If you are transformational, I'll try and keep it short. If you are going to be um, throwing everything on its head, Right, but all those adventurous policies, you do that, you have a, a three-year term of doing all this amazing stuff, you throw it all out the door, you make everything different. Most people don't like change. So what happens after those three years? Because your the benefits haven't been shown yet. All that people have seen is that you've created a whole heap of things that are different for them, chaos, uncertainty, they haven't seen the benefits of it, it feels uncertain, and you're out the door because people like certainty. So. The next time the, go- the next government comes in, they actually turn everything back. We saw it with employment legislation, right? Uh, Labour board and all these policies to make the, the playing field even more even between businesses, between employers and employees. And National came in and they basically reversed it all. Now, we did the same. When we came in, we reversed it all. Yeah. It's, it's like a yo-yo and the country isn't helped. A couple of really important pieces of legislation, the Zero Carbon Bill, the Child Poverty Act, they were done with cross-party agreement. So our Prime Minister is very clear on the fact that if you need real change, things that's going to endure governments, it won't be a let's turn everything on its head and be adventurous. You actually need to work across all parties so it stays that way, right? So it sounds kind of boring, but it does mean that things... No. Exactly. It sounds. It's, it, well, it's, well, 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 it's logical. You know. You, mm. you know. It's like nothing in life turns around that quickly just by starting to prod it, prod it in the right direction. Mm. And you know, three-year election cycle doesn't do any. You know, obviously, we want to try and keep democracy alive and well, but it has its real downsides. It um, has, and, and I think people people haven't. I mean, especially as a new government, right? Your first year, pretty much coming in, is is, is coming to terms that that you're there and what needs to be done. Then your second year is doing things, and the third year you're preparing for your your election. I mean, it is so short, and 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 some of the things you need to do for the people out there, and and and, and um, you know, our our party has been very clear on it. This is saying. For example, we give certainty and we give um, people uh, the comfort that you say things like there will be no um, tax changes, right? People need to know that so they can plan. But you also need to then start looking at um, having a platform to, to build back up from. So 
every single party, when you say, what are you going to do? Are we going to grow the economy and we're going to make all these new jobs, right? Well, actually, and this is what people have no patience for, but we have a five-step plan and it does start with um, investment in people, but then you talk to the issues. You talk about the free apprenticeships. You talk about creating your own internal work workforce that's going to build on your step two, the jobs where you have... Um, shovel-ready infrastructure projects that are going to create tens of thousands of jobs, your environmental work, where we talk about, you know, doing the work in the envi environment and working on our climate change responsibilities. So that creates the jobs. Then you have your training and your retraining opportunities. Again, we put those measures in place with apprenticeship boost, with um, first year free, apprenticeships free. So that means that you're going to um, uh, create those, those, those pathways. Investing in your future is, is by looking at investing in the structures like environmental work, like your infrastructures. Then you've got your support for small businesses and entrepreneurs, because you rightly point out there's so many uh, entrepreneurs in New Zealand. So you need to put things in place. And what we've done, for example, with the small business loan scheme, you're extending it so people can then look at maybe for the next two, three years, at least having access to cash flow for very little interest or no, none for the first year. That's the, that was the fourth branch, I think. And then the last one is um, positioning ourselves globally. So we have, you alluded to it, a superior product, and especially in our primary uh, industry. So we have, for example... You can't um, do all of that in three years, obviously. No, no, no. But but actually, all of this is, is stuff that is already in place. These are things we are already doing, but together, they form the five-step plan, 44 billion into your primary export products. They all form your plan cohesively to start the rebuild and the recovery. And so I think when people are saying, oh, what are you doing to get us out of this mess? I don't even usually get to the second step because people want to hear this quick fix, yeah. but actually there's no quick fix. It's all working together with all the different policies and measures we put in place that are already happening. Yeah. No, and I think it's it's just uh, another example of of the the echo chamber and the quick soundbite stuff yeah. that that has come to, to to prevail in our life. You know these days and it's it's actually sitting down with people like yourself and and getting a grasp of actually oh actually it is there is a lot of long I mean, it's, it's not quite like china where they sit down and have a hundred year plan because they don't <laughs> have to worry about little things like elections and stuff like that yeah it's a bit easier that way um, yes um yeah uh, and and but obviously uh, can you ever see moving from like a three to a four year oh would there, would there be married would there be merit in that I think there is, and I think we need to have that discussion. Um, and hopefully there will be um, space for it in the, in the next term um, for us to start talking about it, because three years is a really short amount of time. And um, especially when, like I said, especially when you have a, a new government coming in, you basically just a third of the time is gone before you've even, before the rubber has hit the road. Yeah. And, and that doesn't help people. So four years, I think it's it's. You know, it's pretty stable. And, and also, by the time you're going to put something like that in place, you're probably three election cycles further because nobody wants to do it, exactly. at a, at, you know, because it might affect you. So you have to sort of look into the future. So the discussion needs to be happening now. I mean, thankfully, you know, it, it's... it's um, thankfully, you know, like we said, we, we live in a, a modern democracy and, and we have proportional representation to a degree, which is far better than some of the alternatives that we see around the world um but again it just feels it it 
feels to me, no matter whether you look at the world of economics or the world of pharmaceuticals or the world of um, the, the environment of sustainability or whatever, it feels like we're, we're at some kind of epoch. It feels like the world is at a point where it fundamentally needs to change. And I think people with the COVID thing, people are like, you know, it's like um, Rachel, my wife, she really loved four weeks lockdown. It was, and I think yeah, there's lots yeah, of people who yeah. really did like oh, that. Oh, yeah, there and, was, there and, was positive. That and and I think it. people came out and thinking, yeah. what the hell am I doing running around like a crazy thing for? Yeah. Or, you know, yeah. does, does, does everything need to go back to how it was? Well, no, and I think and, and that is exactly about building back better because how many businesses have seen that, in fact, they can have their staff being more productive if they work from home? There's this great big fear about, um, you know, people not maybe not being productive or, or being lazy even. But actually, what people have found out is that it works much better. Mm. And also for work-life balance, you know, someone may be able to uh, drop the kids at preschool mm. and, um, uh, you know, and, and combine that with how they mm. do their work, the flexible hours. Mm. So... I'm kind of hoping that, that that stays and that people will be able to have those kind of better work-life balances. Um, and, and, and in general, I mean, this sounds quite idyllic. And of course, we live very remote on a, on a gravel road. So I didn't see anyone for seven weeks except my husband and my son, which has had its own challenges. But, you know. <laughs> I, can, I can cut that bit out for you for $20. <laughs> <laughs> that won't hear it. Um, but, you know, it's it's the small communities that have actually noticed that they have neighbours or that, um, you know, people started to greet each other on the road because you sort of felt a, a little bit of camaraderie. Oh, here we all are in our lockdown. Uh, so I think it, it can bring out the better in people as well. Our, our own humanity had a little bit of a, a second look in. Um, mm. So, yeah, I do like the phrase building back better because I think there is a real opportunity for us to really sort of have a bit of a restart on some of these things. And also, you know, I, I have to say, you know, we should all pay much more closer attention to history and not just recent history, ancient history. Um, and, you know, probably not since Mesopotamian, Babylonian time were women such a tour de force in the political arena as they are probably around the world. And um, I think the place would be a much, I think the planet would be much better if you guys did a, kicked out all of the old fat middle-aged white guys like me and 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 I know that not everybody likes the quotas right but we are a party that works with quotas I wasn't aware it, it, so enlighten me about your quotas well no for, for example yeah. about representation yeah. right? you talked about proportional representation before and um, you know you're thinking about the fact that um, God it's not so long ago Helen Clark came in in what 81 she was only the 17th woman to enter parliament. Right, okay. Jacinda Ardern, 2008, she was only the 99th woman who had ever entered parliament. We are now on number 150. Shane so, one didn't sneak in just before us, so she could have got the 100th. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't know why, why they didn't think of that before. Maybe she didn't quite have in her mind that she would be prime okay. minister one day. Um, but I think 99 is still a nice number. Um, but but, but it, does, it does change... Um, it even changes um, decision-making and relationships in, inside parliament. Like, obviously, it's an adversarial environment, right? Everybody who switches on parliament TV sees straight away about, you know, that's what it is. But behind the scenes, obviously, in the select committees and when, when we're working cross-party, there's a lot more collaboration happening. 
but the first time that a bill has ever been able to go to the top of the order paper because every single person agreed in Parliament was because it was driven by a group of women in Parliament. So that was the um, female genital mutilation okay. bill. Um, and so there is an opportunity for any kind of legislation because normally it gets entered, you know, on a... On a on an agenda, the order paper, and you have to work all the way through. And if a new one comes in, it usually goes to the bottom. But you can get it right to the top, to the number one of your legislation, um, of your legislative agenda, if every single person agrees. And so it can be different. You can make, you can make change. And I do believe that the way women you know, work together and how they can build relationship and work cross-party, it's just beneficial for a place like a parliament where really one, one party doing one thing and the other party doing the other and just reversing what the other one did is really an exercise in futility and a lot of wasted energy and time doesn't benefit the people at the end of the day. So I think us being much more collaborative and cooperative um, is only going to be, be helpful. I don't even know what your question was. But you're talking about going on a tangent. That's the yeah. Well, that's the magical. It's the magical. It's the magical tangent <laughs> rabbit hole. No, but that, that, that's why these type of things are important because we, we, in traditional news cycles or reporting, when do you ever get the opportunity to go off on a tangent? Exactly. No, I've, I'm very much enjoying this. <laughs> <laughs> but I think there's there's, there's 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 more need. There's more there's more need of this. There's more of a need for people to sit down. Uh, you know, over a. Um, I didn't bring alcohol today. I have to be honest with you. The first meeting with Chris was at the Matakana pub. The second oh, meeting with Oh, I'm missing out, ain't I? <laughs> you are. I've got, yeah, a, yeah. I've got a bottle of water yeah. sitting but there. But you are the establishment, so we can't show too much favoritism. <laughs> I'll stick to my water. Okay. Well, Sorry, was, I can't offer you any. There might be a crafty bit of vodka in there, but we won't talk oh. about but, um, but no, so, so it, was, it was just, you know, I think it's in, no matter... In fact, I don't know whether it was Noam Chomsky or somebody I was listening to recently who... who was almost like one of the the two things that threaten the civilization more than anything that which we're living in the short term is people's lack of ability of critical thinking with social media and that, that sort of shouty, shoutiness yeah. that you get yeah. and also um, not surrounding yourself with people who don't have the same viewpoints as you you know and and what that all that does is just turns you into your own, you know, the word echo chamber is used too many times. Yeah, yeah. But it's important to sit down with people from differing opinions. Yeah. You know, you might not come out of it agreeing, but you'll, you'll come out of it being... Absolutely. And I think it, it's one of the reasons, for example, that um, I joined some of the community pages. And I don't necessarily join the friendly ones either. So I'm a member of the um, Rodney Community Voices. And okay. seriously, talk about shooting the message. Oh, go on, D dish the dirt. What's, what, what's <laughs> Every time you'll post anything on that, people yeah. will just go, ah, and they start attacking. And... But I actually, I don't mind it because even though it becomes quite personal, you do yeah. get an understanding of the level of frustration out there. Yeah. And if I were to just listen to the people that are saying things like, Rightfully so. You know, we've got a, you guys done a great job on COVID and, you know, now it's just a matter of getting us going again. You need to hear all the ugly stories. You need to hear how people suffered. You need to hear how they feel that there's no way out so that you can actually change your messaging to also, you know, address that. Because otherwise, like you said, the echo chamber, just talking to yourself, we might as well talk to the mirror. If you don't know what is life out there and what is truly deeply felt, how would you ever be able to, 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 to help it? Let's go somewhere uncomfortable a minute with that. Um, 
Let's talk about Billy T and the Advance Party, mm. New Conservatives, or I'm not familiar with all of the 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 the, the, yeah. the, the sort of very sort of alt right for want of a populist term at the minute, yeah. and the rise of populism, I, I guess. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I have nothing. I don't know the guy personally. I have nothing against him. I'm sure he's a very, I mean, whatever. You know, um, surely he's as mad as a box of frogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I hadn't met him. I'd only seen some interviews on what you know, Advance um, was promoting for policies or, or, or this man personally. And I, I have to say, I, the the, the tinfoil head concept came to mind. Uh, a lot of conspiracy. Um, when when the party came to the Wellsford candidates meeting on Thursday, they came with, I mean, you know, there was still the limit of 100 people attending. They came with probably about 20 of them, all supporters. Um, um, Billy um, TK was at our table for as a candidate because even though they don't have a candidate in that particular electorate, um, you know, as, as party leader, I guess he filled the gap. Um, I felt there was a lot of... Um, how do you, what is the word for it? There was a lot of posturing in the sense of trying to feed off any negative energy you could find. So people, there's always something about the grass being greener, right? There's always something that will make someone think that someone else got it better. The grass and is always greener if you throw enough 5G at it. <laughs> okay, let's go <laughs> sorry, there. Sorry, I had to go there. No, no, sorry, I, 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 nice I rudely interrupted. Very nice, very, very nice. So... Um, but it was easy to find it in that room because it's a community that already feels like, you know, and, and rightfully so, I think that they haven't had the investment that that, that part of the country needs. Uh, they feel still hurting from, from being made part of the super city, far away from Auckland, but, you know, considered Auckland. So there's a, there's a, there's a frustration out there that he fed off because, you know, when you start a speech by saying, I'm here to be angry on your behalf, it just it just gets that kind of mood to the surface. Would it be okay? So, would it be fair to to to, to frame it in this way? Um, there there are parallels. Looking at the current, you know, looking at you know whether it's you know the the the, the advanced party or whatever, or whether it's looking at Brexit or whether it's looking at Trumpism yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Um, what fundamentally seems to be at the the root core, and again, I'm an idiot, you know, go and look at it for yourself. I'm, I'm just as prone to getting things wrong as anybody. But these vast swathes of the population were disenfranchised. Um, vast swathes of the population where their standard of living and life has just got progressively more difficult each year. Yeah. Vast swathes of the population who feel like they don't have a voice or their voice isn't listened to. And for me, that's a fertile breeding ground Absolutely. for anybody who, A, threatens to shake up the establishment like Trump did, drain the swamp. Um, he just drained it so he could build a bigger one. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, we're joking aside, and I don't want this joking to be on any, uh, on, to be at the, the cost of anybody in the constituency who feels disenfranchised. Sure. Because fundamentally, people feel that way for a reason, and then they'll get behind somebody who's against the status quo or the establishment or those type of things because they feel like, A, it's their opportunity to protest, yeah. 
I think more people, more people didn't vote for Trump. What they did was they, they voted, for, they, it's not that they actively voted for Trump, they just didn't vote for Hillary, you know? And the same with Brexit, actually, if you try and sit down and have a conversation about the Maastricht Treaty and EU law and all this kind of thing, uh, what you actually find is people were just, it was, it was decades of austerity, which, which caused the fertile, um, the, 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 the fertile petri dish of discontent, which was fed off by, you know, um, political engineering, for want of a better word. Yeah. So we have to recognise that. I know that's a, probably a fairly recent thing in New Zealand, is it? This sort of swing to the extremes, or is it? Well, is it, or, or, or was it always there, but we, we didn't see it, or... Never had or the have, oxygen, maybe, because of But That's right, maybe, we've, exactly, and, and I think we've given it more opportunity to come out, because, like I said, it takes... So, so for example, with that candidate meeting, it would have taken a lot of hard work to stand up and try and get a positive mood out, right? Because you need to talk a long game, and you need to provide a lot of context and information for people to try and take all that in to see that perhaps things aren't so bad. You need to talk about the rest of the world, you need to talk about New Zealand's place compared to what other people have. But it's very difficult because it means you need to be, you need to be taking a lot of information in and comparing that to how you feel. But if someone says to you, You've been locked up for seven weeks. Your business is hurting. You, um, you know, and so basically pick out all the things that people have gone through and rightfully feel frustrated and upset about. It's so much easier to relate to that feeling because it's immediate. Immediately, somebody goes to the core of your unhappiness. So I think, unfortunately, and you just mentioned it with social media, that's being played on. They're short, sharp messages. They're they get, they're getting the first reaction out and the first reaction often is one off. The grass is always greener. So I haven't been treated fairly. This isn't right. I want things to be better. Um, and, and so it is easy to play on that emotion and get it out, but that just exacerbates people feeling kind of helpless. Mm. But it's a much longer story like what we're doing today is to actually provide a lot of context, a lot of thought-provoking, and try and work through the issues to say, relatively speaking, we're actually not that bad off. There's a lot of opportunities around the corner. We're grabbing it. This is what we're doing about it. So things will get better. Rather than just thinking, oh, shit at the moment, isn't it? <laughs> so, so I think, yeah. I mean, everybody is busy. The world has become such a place where people haven't got the time to sit down and take in all the messaging and the context and the information. So they go on headlines. And whether or not the headline is correct or if it's just a juicy little, well, it, well, little it's just, on that. Well, it's just not. The, it's like I was speaking to um, Zephyr and I said to him, look, how many times, and I don't want to pick out one media organisation above another, but the times I've seen it happening frequently with the New Zealand Herald where you'll, yeah. you'll go through a social yeah. media feed and there'll be an article posted there with this juicy headline yeah. and you actually, get, like you actually get three quarters through the article and they actually contradicted themselves yeah. halfway through yeah. and then three quarters way through it's actually the opposite is the case yeah. Yeah. but people don't have the time for that people see the headline click share or angry angry rent yeah. angry from Helensville says whatever and and if you shout loud enough and enough people share it, it becomes true. Yeah. And, and, and I think I spoke to someone the other day and they were a TV3 X producer where they said, when I was in this job, 
we had to be completely neutral, unbiased and give facts. And and we couldn't even be, there couldn't even be members, what he said, of certain um, community organizations or even sport clubs. They had to be completely neutral, right? Because the news that you gave people, the facts, were for people to start thinking and, and just making up their own mind. But of course, now every single thing is an opinion piece. And so you don't know if you're reading fact or you're reading someone's brain explosions. You can't see the difference anymore. Mm. And this is the thing that I think you have a responsibility yes. in, 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 in positions like, like we are of elected representatives, but also when you're the media and you, you have this you know, job of giving people the facts and information, you have you have a responsibility in that role. And if you don't take that serious and you try and get swayed by either commercial gain or personal gain, you should be going somewhere else. You shouldn't be in, in any of those roles because it's wrong. You are actually steering it into a, a course, a direction where it may not naturally have gone because of your own bias. Well, also, I think we're in, we're, we're, I think, it, is it fair to say that we're sort of, it's not just New Zealand, the world, you know, people don't get their news by perusing three different daily newspapers. You know, they'll probably get it from the internet or their social feed Twitter. or whichever. I saw it on Twitter. Twitter. How yeah, often I, I get a message saying, yeah, oh, no, such and such, we are off from Twitter. So obviously, you know, 140 you know, characters. You know, obviously, and, you know, I'm in the I'm in the privileged <laughs> position of not being impartial whatsoever here. <laughs> wearing my, <laughs> wearing my politics on my sleeve. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I'm a Guardian reader because I'm a bit of a lefty. Um, but but I will also read the time. I won't read the Daily Mail because that's not even a newspaper anymore. But I won't, you know, I won't read the. I'll, I'll make sure I, I try and read a balanced perspective from different political perspectives. I'll even look at Al Jazeera, or sometimes I'll look at RT. You know, I know it's a. I know it's got the the Russian puppetry behind it. But, but, some, but sometimes the truth does lie in between them. Exactly. I think if you get it, and, and the same in our place, we also quite often have the uh, the, the Dutch channels on. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband also watches uh, Al Jazeera. And I think in and getting your information from so many different sources, you at least have more opportunity to find the real messaging in between and you make up your own mind. It gives more opportunity for thought-provoking as well. So, he's, so look, he's, this is a little bit of a tangent. We'll, we'll finish soon. But here's he's an example at a minute. So there's um, this horrendous conflict in Ar- Armenia or between Armenia and Azerbaijan at the minute. And I, I can't remember for the life of me and my, some of my Armenian friends will kick me about this. I can't remember the name of the contested region between Azerbaijan. Anyway, so the basic thing is this. So you look at the you look at the media at the minute. Um, there seems to be this internationally. So from a headline perspective, there's this internationally recognised piece of land that sits between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Um, that's internationally recognised as Azerbaijan because Stalin gave it to them in recent history. Um, if you dig deeper and look at the history, this thing has been this thing has been a, 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 an Armenian yeah, forever and a day. for thousands of years. Yeah. The vast majority of the people that lived there were Armenian. They didn't want it to be given away to Azerbaijan by Stalin. But without that deep historical context, without going past the headlines, without asking the questions and going, hold hold on a minute, um, that that type of situation spills over to 
lots of things around the world and lots of, you know, it spills over into big stuff like that where people are dying right through to small everyday issues. Um, God, what's the solution of it? As we're all glued to our phones more and, and everything else, it's, 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 I feel, yeah. I feel like history yeah. needs to be right. You know, people should learn because it does just repeat itself. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I probably one of the, the, the few people that had to go through six years of, of both Greek and, and Latin um, <laughs> you oh, know, Latin's great. I love Latin. Classic. Latin, Latin. <laughs> but but it does give you a kind of like a perspective of um, you know. Yeah, well, it's like nobody nobody realised that the, right? the Greeks were the, the ancient Greeks were almost like the first Taliban. You know, those are the people who made <laughs> yeah. women first cover up and all this yeah. type of yeah. stuff. Yeah. You know, it, it is, and I think. So, so part of it will probably be, um, you know, education, and in a new country like New Zealand, probably a lot of, you know, a history being, you know, part of the curriculum, and and that's one of the things, for example, with uh, um, um, uh, Maori Wars, making that part of the uh, New Zealand history in the curriculum. Now, this is going to sound really terrible, but I still, you know, I've been here ten years. We have, um, you know, lots of friends from uh, Nata Manihiri or Nata Wai, Nata Wai, or whatever. Um, and I'm still not 100%. I think there are so many New Zealanders who are still not 100% clear on the whole uh, Maori Wars history and yeah, the oh, history look, of it all. You're not, you're not uh, an exception, and that's the whole thing. When I first came to New Zealand and um, I um, met my husband, he, when he went to school during um, Maori history lessons, his dad had told the school that he didn't want him to be there and he wanted, you know, he shouldn't be in the class. Your partner is a Kiwi. Yes, a Kiwi, yeah, yeah. But in those days, you know, you're talking about, uh, what is it, the 70s? Well, that was, that was when um, Te Reo wasn't even allowed that's to right, be. That's yeah. right, that's right. They actually actively discouraged it and you weren't allowed to speak at that school. So my husband had to stand in a closet for those um, classes, right? Because there was an inherent... Um, I hope that's not continued into behaviour <laughs> in later <laughs> Never stands in the closet anymore. But when I first came into the country and I learned about the Tiriti, and especially when uh, I went to um, do my constitutional law paper and I learned all of the history behind it and I was trying to tell him about it, it was news to him. And he grew up here because, like you said, people, it, it was pushed away, it wasn't acknowledged. So for us to have all of that awareness and even the awareness of the disadvantages, you need to know all that history. Otherwise... Everything is coloured. Everything you see is coloured by your own reality. And so, you know, we had some very heated conversations about the fact that those, that information that he didn't know coloured a lot of the way that he viewed certain populations, certain things that ha were happening in New Zealand. So it's like, it was like when Rachel and I first moved up to, to I mean, obviously, you know, we'd read some basic New, New Zealand history, but we were horrified. We were actually horrified when we moved up and we stopped in central Auckland for a few weeks because we, we said to friends, oh, we're going to do a big trip up north. Because you know, I, th I, I, I think what I said was along the lines of, you can't, understand the cult you can't understand the country unless you fundamentally know their indigenous culture and also degree of their language. Mm. And I'm not going to repeat some of the things that were said back to me by, by Parkia friends, you know. It was like... Um, I was just shocked. Yeah, it's still much there. And when this area got renamed in Kaiparaki Maharangi, some of the people approached us and said, oh, why a Maori name? You know, that, that is still there. And, and, the, and the thing is, we need to acknowledge it's there and, and bring it out in the open and talk about it. Because otherwise there's always going to be like a, 
some kind of an undercurrent. You and I need to sit down again and we'll talk about we'll Let's talk about it. that because yeah. that, that would be that would be really fascinating. Um, I think actually it'd be fascinating for me from a selfish perspective, <laughs> but also I think people would find it really interesting. Yeah. You know because. Um, it, it, that, that, that does seem a certain hesitancy to sort of talk about it openly and bring people, you know, because everybody obviously has their agenda from it. Yeah, and also I think I, I have a, I have a, I guess when you come from Holland, you're a little bit numb to subtleties at times. Probably not the best thing to say. Well, you but shoot, you shoot, shoot, I mean stoned. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have that muffin. Um, you kind of, you kind of quite a, you know, you're quite straight up. So, yeah, yeah, so you, yeah. you, you quite often it bring what, out. It, it is yeah, what it is in yeah. Holland. I and mean, you know, yeah. everybody who's been to Amsterdam on a on a weekend trip and and wanders into a sex shop will find couples openly pulling things off the shelves and discussing which model's better. <laughs> yeah, quite yeah, open. Yeah, there's there's, there's yeah. very little taboo in discussion with stuff around that. Yeah, and I don't want to be insensitive in that way, but when I first came to New Zealand, people did say to me, oh, look, you don't have to be that direct. You can, we, we beat a bit about around the bush, when, you know, you don't have to straight come to the point. I had to learn, and, and, and I still sometimes have trouble that when I make a phone call, because, you know, you're always in a hurry, you, I'll get straight to the point. Or, uh, is this of that, you know, what's happening? Instead of going, oh, hi, uh, good morning. How was your weekend? And then get to the point. Because... You need to go on a social etiquette course. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's what it is. But, you know, they, I mean, and there's a fine line, right? But, but it also means that quite often I end up in what people perceive as uncomfortable discussion topics because I don't mind going no, there. No, it's no. just, you know, as well, long as you're not offensive and as long as you consider that other people... Might Actually, offence is an interesting thing at the minute as well. And, and you know, let, we'll wrap this up in a minute because we, we, we could go on putting the world right forever. Yeah. And offence is a really interesting thing at the minute because, again, tied to social media, especially around, oh, I hate the term wokeness, but, you know, oh, we can, yeah. we can call it that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and somebody being offended by something should not be a, a criminal or a social, you know, faux pas yeah. you know because that's part of having conversations and we don't have to agree on stuff and um who was i listening to now i think i was listening to listen to uh might have been a joe rogan podcast or something like that anyway and i had a guest on and i don't agree with 100 percent of jordan peterson at the best of times but i was actually really disgusted by the fact you know university had invited him to to speak and he couldn't actually speak because people were blowing air horns and they you know accusing him of this and accusing him. and almost like the cancel culture like cutting off the conversation yeah. that achieves nothing yeah. surely so like you say so i wouldn't you know never be afraid to 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 talk about something because it may cause offense mm. if it's if it's an important subject i guess yeah, yeah. I, I guess it's more about how you bring the message and i had to learn that that you know, how you talk about something, you still need to, you know, the way you, you talk about it. Not, not necessarily being out to create offence, but just acknowledging that someone might be on completely different, um, uh, you know, uh, philosophy or thinking than you are. And, and in your discussion, you need to keep that in mind, just, just how you speak about it. And that's also a better way of trying to get to all of the bottom of all of the topics so yeah we're, 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 you know fundamentally we're all pretty much the same well we and that's how we started off when you talked about um the four politicians that you've had in your podcast 
And uh, at the end of the day, we're all people with our human traits, you know, some of the things you like, some of the things you don't like. But at the end of the day, most of us most likely ended up where we are because we thought we could do good for the people and we want everybody to have, you know, a, a good place and be happy in, in this country. So fundamentally, we are alike. It's just that the way we go about it and the way we think we get there, it might be different, but we're not bad people. Maya, I think that's a good point to stop us going through down another <laughs> rabbit hole. Sounds like a good plan, Craig. <laughs> so look, thank you for, for, for taking some time and having a chat. It's been lovely meeting you. And yeah, it'd be great to do this again. Let's do it again. Subject. That'd be wonderful. I really enjoyed it. So yeah, thank you for the opportunity and for you getting out there and getting all of this information out of everyone. Oh yeah, all it's going to do is add to my workload for a few days. But, <laughs> but I know I just thought it'd be an interesting thing to do. And that'd be great. So um, hopefully, where are we now? It's the 5th of October. So I'll try and get all of these things edited out at the end of this week. And I'll send all you guys the links and wow. you can share and share alike. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing the others. Yeah, no, 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 and um, we can, uh, and then we'll, we'll discuss which bits you want edited out at the end for for, 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 for substantial amounts of money. <laughs> Maya, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure.